Welcome to Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. Now here's your host, Dr. Katrina Forseth, a missionary serving as State Director of CEF of Illinois. Hi, and thanks for listening to Telling Future Generations. Coming off the major holiday seasons, we're reminded that families are one of the most precious gifts that the Lord has given to us. Families can be the source of our greatest blessings, love, and joy. But ironically, families can also be the source of our greatest sorrow, stress, and even strife, not only within our own families, but also the whole community of people, including the family of God. Such was the case with a big internal family dispute that's recorded in Nehemiah chapter 5. Before Christmas, we previously looked at Nehemiah chapter 4 and the external storm threats. But what the external storms of mocking words and physical threats from their enemies from without could not do in stopping the wall-building work in Jerusalem, the internal storm of family disunity almost destroyed the wall-building work from within. It took 52 days from start to finish to rebuild the Jerusalem walls, but it's only here in Nehemiah chapter 5 that there is zero mention of any wall work being done. Well, why is that? Because there was a big dispute that set brethren against brethren and family against family that culminated into great internal family disunity. In Nehemiah chapter 5, we'll examine three major areas of this internal disunity. The source of disunity, the solution to disunity, and the steps to restore unity. All the while, while keeping in mind how what happened back then in Nehemiah chapter 5 applies to God's people today. First, we need to understand the source of disunity. If you want to start an internal family feud, just mess with other people's stuff, including their food, money, houses, and lands, and even their own progeny, their children. Nehemiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 blatantly states the problem. It says, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren the Jews. For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn, food for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth, the famine in the land. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, and our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Chuck Sundahl, in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, Timeless Lessons on Leadership from the Book of Nehemiah, he states that this internal strife, which resulted in internal disunity, was caused by three factors, famine, taxes, and usury, which is interest charged on top of debt. First, he says, there was a famine. There was just not enough food to go around for the many people who were living and working on the wall in Jerusalem. Food was scarce. Second, famine and heavy taxes combined caused the people to mortgage all that they had, their lands, vineyards, and houses, just to feed their families and pay the king's tribute. And third, on top of the problem of food and taxes, the Jewish nobles and rulers, they purchased the people's mortgages, then loaned out the money to their own Jewish people with high interest, with usury charged on top. What resulted was insurmountable debt that was tantamount to forced slavery of their own people due to the usury charge. I don't know about you, but these problems happening in Nehemiah's time reads like the front page of modern-day headlines of newspapers of high taxes, high interest rates, which results in high debts. 
All of this leads to a vicious cycle of what some people call as modern-day slavery, not just of lifelong indebtedness, but also generational indebtedness driven by our great national debt, which is then passed on from generation to generation, leaving people in a powerless position with little hope to ever repay. In a similar way, this is what was happening with the people back in Nehemiah's day. One of the key verses is found in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 5, that says the people, they cried out with a great cry and said, neither is it in our power to redeem. The people were helpless to stop the situation or to redeem themselves out of the situation because they were powerless to pay back their great indebtedness owed to others. Their salvation, their deliverance from the situation was completely beyond them, outside of them. They needed a redeemer, one who could provide for a people who are unable to provide for themselves. Just like the people in Nehemiah's day were powerless to redeem themselves, so you and I are powerless to redeem ourselves from the greatest debt of all, the debt of our sin of disobedience heaped high against and separating us from holy God. We need a redeemer. We need someone beyond us, outside of us, to provide for us, to pay back our great indebtedness of sin that we are powerless on our own to repay. We need a redeemer who will provide for his people who are unable to provide for themselves. If the source of disunity was the powerlessness of the people to provide for themselves, then what was the solution to disunity? Right after Nehemiah hears of this internal family disunity, the people's cry and the dispute, he puts his finger right on the heart of the problem and addresses the core issue in verses 6 and 7. He says, And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and I said unto them, You exact usury, every one of his brethren, and I set a great assembly against them. In Nehemiah's day, the problem that directly contributed to the internal disunity was the unbiblical practice of usury, which was forbidden, absolutely forbidden by God's law regarding the internal relationship practices among God's covenant people. You can call it greed or covetousness, wanting what others have for yourself, which is one of the Ten Commandments that God's people are not supposed to do. In other words, it's the love of money and the love of other people's stuff over obeying God's clear command to love God and to love people people first and foremost. At the core, the source of disunity and the solution to disunity comes down to addressing the same problem, which can be described in a single word, sin, S-I-N. Sin is the root cause behind every situation of internal family disunity. The Bible tells us that. In fact, James 3, 14 through 16 says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, the Bible says, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilishness. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Whenever you have internal family disunity, the issue you must first address is the problem of sin. And the person you must address first is yourself, including your own heart attitude and actions. Stop looking at others what they have done or not done and start looking within your own heart of the problem of sin and address that first. Nehemiah did exactly that. He first consulted with himself, addressed himself first, I'm sure in prayer and in counsel with the Lord, and then he provided for others. He provided for the people the steps to restore unity. The steps to restored unity covers the rest of Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 8 through 19, which are summarized in three major steps that are like stepping stones. Step one, model redemption. Step two, keep your promise. And step three, reflect God's grace to others. 
I remember when I was a little girl, I took piano lessons for seven years, but I wasn't much good at it. I remember my last day of lessons, my teacher just looked at me after an excruciating 30 minutes, probably equivalent to listening to fingernails on chalkboard, and she turned to me and bluntly said, do you want to quit? You know, I don't like being a quitter of anything, but I took that piano quit out just as fast as I could, of course, with my parents' permission. But looking back, not all of my piano lessons were a complete waste. There was one piano piece in particular that stuck with me through the years called Stepping Stones that sounded like crossing a brook from one side to another by gently crossing a running stream using three major transitions that were like stepping stones. So in a similar way, the first stepping stone, the transition to restoring unity in the midst of internal family disunity is to step one, model redemption. In Nehemiah chapter five, verse eight, Nehemiah directs strong words to the Jewish leader saying, we, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will you even sell your brethren or shall they be sold unto us? Then the people responded, they held their peace and found nothing to say. Well, what is Nehemiah driving at to get across here to the people? He's saying, you are the redeemed people of God, so act like it. Since God redeemed us to be his people who were not his people, how dare you put your own brethren in bondage by your attitudes and actions when God has redeemed you and all of us together are all part of the same family, the covenant people of God. This is why when Nehemiah confronted the Jewish rulers, they could say nothing because they, the redeemed people of God and the leaders of the Jewish people were not modeling redemption before their brethren, but instead they were sinning against them by not modeling redemption as a redeemed member of the family of God. But how do we model redemption before others, especially among our own brethren within God's people? One word, forgiveness. Maybe someone has heaped a pile of sin against you and has gone on and on, not just for days or months, but for years. And just when you think that they could not possibly do anything more to you, they do it again and again. And no matter what that person could ever say or do or how they promise to change in the future, they could never pay back what they have done to you or what they owe you to make things right. There's only one thing that you can do, and that is what God calls all of us as his people to do, and that is to model redemption and forgive them. Why? because God forgave us when we could never repay what we had done against him. Ephesians 4.32 is one of my favorite verses that says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God redeemed us. So we in turn, even when others heap up a wrong account against us and keep piling more sin debt on, we need to forgive them and model redemption. The second step to restored unity is not only to model redemption, but also to keep your promise. Nehemiah 5 verses 9 through 13 describes the importance of keeping your promise to forgive others' debts and to be a man of your word before God and others. Nehemiah said, it is not good that you do. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So we will do as you say us. Then Nehemiah said, I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also, Nehemiah said, I shook my lap and said, so God shall shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation, they responded and said, amen and praise the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. 
You know, there's a solid biblical principle here that we must see and apply to our lives. When you promise before God to forgive someone, even though they big time owe you and can never repay you, you need to keep your promise to forgive them and not hold their sin debt against them. And that includes how you treat them going forward by your attitudes and your actions. You know, like those stepping stones while crossing a brook, don't step backwards and return to the shore of disunity, but rather step forward towards the shore of restoring unity and stand on that second stepping stone, which is to keep your promise before God and forgive them just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know, this is nothing less than the gospel and the message of the cross. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God kept his promise and forgave us not only from the cross, but because of the cross through his son's eternal sacrifice and payment for our sins. If God has forgiven us the greater sin debt that we have heaped up against holy God, then how can we hold on to the lesser sin debt of others that they have heaped up against us? The biblical answer, the gospel answer says we can't. Instead, God's word says to let go of our rocks of retaliation and to lay them down at the foot of the cross. This is the gospel, not only to believe in Christ, but to live out the gospel of Christ day by day, even in the midst of wrong done to us by others, including through great suffering and strife. Is internal disunity breaking out in your family today or among God's people? Look not just to Nehemiah's provided answer in chapter 5. Look to Christ. Step over the sin debt of others, model redemption as God's people, and keep your promise to forgive as God has forgiven you. When someone heaps up rocks of sin against you, don't look around for more rocks to throw, but stand eternally, securely on the only sure rock, the rock of Christ, who is our Redeemer. Thanks again for listening to Telling Future Generations, and we hope you join us again next week in our journey through Nehemiah. Until then, God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. To learn how you can partner with Child Evangelism Fellowship to reach children in your community, please call 309-688-9699 or visit cefofillinois.com. Please join us again next week at the same time for Telling Future Generations.